I'm pumped. I get nervous when I get this excited to preach because sometimes it messes me up. Um, you ever have that happen? Like if you played sports, if you got too psyched up, you'd actually play worse. I get worried about that sometimes. So we're closing out this series today, uh, Seven Churches of Revelation. Uh, so most of you know, I grew up in church. And um, so like from the very beginning, uh, I've kind of been in church pretty much my whole life, all the way back to when I was a kid, I did the whole children's ministry thing, right? And back in my day, uh, and it's weird that I get to say that, but back in my day, uh, we had what was called a flannel graph board. And basically all that was is just a piece of felt uh, stuck to a wall, and then they would take Bible characters made of felt, and they would stick them to the piece of felt, and they would tell the Bible story uh, based off that. It was cutting-edge technology. Uh, cutting-edge, I'm telling you. Um, it, fun side fact, my wife took my daughter school shopping the other, uh, for her school clothes, and she came home, and they were talking, and out of nowhere, she goes, Dad, um, when you went to school, d- did they have hoodies back then? <laughs> I'm like, no, we, we had to kill dinosaurs and wear them as skin. Like, but, but we have come a long way. It's weird for me to say, like, we had flannel graphs, and now they experience up there, you know, they got, like, uh, loud music, dancing, people actually acting out the Bible stories, videos, like, a little bit different than what I experienced in church. So, growing up as a kid, I did that, and then I did the whole youth group thing, you know, struggling as a teenager to try and figure out how my faith worked in my actual life, and, you know, not just inheriting my faith, but making it my own. It was a difficult season, as I think it is for everybody. Um, And then, you know, I I became an adult, probably more gradually than I'd like to admit, and I did the the big church thing, right? The churchy church thing. Um, So I've, I've heard, I've listened to thousands of sermons in my life, thousands. And Uh, Out of all the sermons I've heard, out of all the books and chapters and verses in the Bible, the verses we're going to look at today are some of the verses I've heard preached on most. Uh, The the, the verses we're going to look at today are are the letter to the church in Laodicea, okay? So so if you grew up in church, you're probably like, oh yeah, I've I've heard that sermon before, right? Because, and if you're not familiar, um, it's the lukewarm church. Remember that? I always called it lukewarm in Laodicea. Um, I was like, you've got to get the alliteration game on. But I'm like, you could come up with so many better ones, right? Lazy in Laodicea, lethargic in Laodicea, losers in Laodicea. It was possibilities for mine. Um, I don't know which one I want to go with. Um, But... I've heard this sermon, I'd say, top five, top ten, most times I've heard, like, verses of the Bible preached on. And that's always scary as a speaker, because I'm worried that if you've heard it before, you're thinking, I've heard it before, and you're not going to listen right now, so I promise it's going to be different than the ones you've heard before, first of all. Um, But secondly, like, for me, I always experienced this sermon a certain way, and it was never a pleasant experience. So, so if, if you're not familiar, here are the two of the key verses in this uh, letter. Jesus is saying this, and he says, I know all the things that you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So, so you're not hot, and you're not cold, you're somewhere in the middle, you're lukewarm, and evidently that's the worst. That's the worst. <sighs> Makes Jesus want to spit you out of his mouth. Now, for me, like growing up, 
if your pastor is feeling extra edgy or if he had kind of a rough week and he was just wanting to let things fly, um, he would tell you that the Greek word for spit actually isn't spit. It's actually more accurately translated vomit. So he would get all riled up and all worked up and he'd be like, man, if you're not passionate about your faith, if you don't care about what Jesus has done for you, you make Jesus want to puke. And you know, you're like, wait, <laughs> because he's usually spitting as he's saying it. And um, always an uplifting uplifting message to be hearing in church. Um, so for me, I was always discouraged when this church would be preached. And um, I guess what, what it was, you know, to hear that, you know, if I'm not on fire for Jesus, if I'm not passionate, if I'm not zealous, that like I actually make Jesus want to puke. Um, that was discouraging because even at my best, I never felt like I was like, in the hot category over here, even at my best. And the reason was, is because I could always look around at at least a couple of people in the church and be like, oh, wow, man, they like really love Jesus. Like they're doing all that stuff for him, man. They got some of the stuff that I don't have down, down. And and those people, those people are the the hot ones. Those are the passionate people. Those are the zealous people. So if that's what they are, and I'm not cold, I must, I must be lukewarm. So I always felt like this sermon was aimed directly at me. And I always felt like crap afterwards. Because for me, it always seemed like the problem was described, but a solution was never given. I was told that I should be passionate about my faith. And that if I wasn't, it was a really serious thing. So I knew the what. I needed to be passionate. I knew the why, because Jesus would puke me out of his mouth. But I was never told how. And that was really frustrating to me. I came in not feeling like I was on fire for Jesus. I left feeling like I was not on fire for Jesus and guilty. (laughs) Usually the only thing I could remember is something about water in Laodicea and making Jesus puke. And that was all that stuck with me. And the statement, like, you should care more about your faith like, that's true, right? I mean, if we're Christians and we believe that, that Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, actually came down to earth and died in our place for our sins, and uh, he gives us forgiveness because of that. He gives us a, a restored relationship with God and a future home in heaven with him for eternity. I could easily say the sentence, you should care more. Like, that should matter to your life a lot. It should affect things a lot. And, and that's true. That's true. I, I should care more. But knowing that I should care more and actually caring more are two different things, right? Knowing I should be passionate and actually being passionate are two different things. Being on fire, knowing I should be on fire for Jesus and actually being on fire for Jesus are two different things. So what I want to do today, I want to look at this letter to this church in the city of Laodicea. And um, I want you to leave here knowing that yes, you should be passionate about your faith. I'm going to just take a wild swing here and say probably more than you are. And yes, it is a really big deal if you're not. Jesus puts the lukewarm in the worst category. It is a big deal. But I don't want you to just know those two things. I also hope to give you like some steps, some ideas of how to become passionate, how to become zealous, how to, how to stoke that fire so that you can be 
in the hot category, not in the lukewarm category. So I don't just want to give you what or why, I also want to give you how. So that's what I want to do today. Before we jump into that, though, would you pray with me? Um, Jesus, Jesus, you know I've, I've kind of carried this one this week. Looking at, at this sermon that I've heard so many times before, I, I'm nervous about it. And I want, I want to communicate this the way you want me to communicate it, Lord. And I, I want uh, the people sitting here, Lord, please um, help them hear it, Lord. Not in the way that like rips them to shreds, but in a way that, that, that draws them to you. So that we could collectively heat up. And, and become more zealous for you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, uh, the first thing that we know about this church, obviously, is that they are lukewarm. They're a lukewarm church. Um, they're, they're not on fire for Jesus, but they're not completely turned away from him either, right? There, there's something of faith in their life. It's, it's there. Like, they haven't completely rejected Jesus. It's not that they don't believe in him. They do. But it's not central to their life right? It's a, it's a side thing. It's, it's not that important to them. It's important, but it's not at the top of the priority list, right? So that's the first thing you know. They're lukewarm. And the second thing, in verse 17, uh, Jesus says this, you say, I am rich and I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So the second thing we see here is that this church thinks they're doing okay, and a uh, little background, Laodicea was a pretty well-to-do city. Compared to the rest of the ancient world, most of them were rich. They at least had everything they needed physically. But spiritually, Jesus is saying, it's a different story. So the second thing we see about them is that they lack a spiritual self-awareness. They're physically aware. They're like, hey, we got stuff. Like, we, we, uh, we're not in need, really, in our lives. But they're not seeing the spiritual reality behind the physical one. They think they're okay spiritually, but they're not. And, and for me, this is really one of the scariest aspects of being lukewarm because there is a kind of a built-in lack of self-awareness. You think you're okay when you're not. Because if you knew you weren't okay, you probably wouldn't stay there because you try to do something about it. But part of being lukewarm is you don't even know it's a problem. You think you're all right. Like you're content at the current level of spirituality that you have. And Jesus is like, that's actually not good. You need to move. So for me, this is a little bit terrifying. The possibility that you could think you are one way spiritually, but you're really not that way. So Jesus gives them some advice based off of this. They're lukewarm and they don't even really know that they're hurting spiritually. Here's what he says in verse 18. So I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be ashamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. Now, again, growing up, I always heard pastors like dig into these three things and talk about like physically how these things were present in the city of Laodicea, like it was a, a banking center. So gold was a big deal in this city. And evidently they produced some kind of white clothes that was a big deal in the city. And they were like exclusive producers of some special ointment for your eyes. So the city, all this stuff was really like physically important. And obviously Jesus isn't talking about physical things here. He's using these as spiritual examples. And you could dig into all these and try to figure out what they all mean. But I just want to actually ask just one question. Because um, it fascinates me. Didn't he just say in the previous verse that spiritually they're poor? Catch that? 
Physically, they might be all right, but spiritually, they're poor. And then he turns around and says, so spiritually, you're poor, but spiritually, you need to buy some gold. Like, wait, what? You just, you just told me I was poor spiritually, and now you're telling me I have to buy gold, which is a weird thing to buy, and also some, some really nice clothes, and evidently some, some ointment for eyes. So even though I'm poor, you're telling me to buy this stuff. How do I do that? I'm poor. And then he continues, and I think it kind of helps even explain more of what he's saying in verse 19. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. So before I jump into the the indifference part, this little sentence, man, little side note here. God disciplines people he loves. I hope you know that. A lot of people look at trouble in their life as evidence that God's like mad at them, but not necessarily the case. He might be um, allowing that into your life to change you. Because he loves you. God loves you right where you're at, but he also loves you too much to leave you there. They're both true. I think we have a hard time holding on to both those truths. He loves you right there, and he loves you way too much to leave you right there. A lot of times we pick one or the other, right? Either we struggle with the idea that he loves us right where we are, we carry too much guilt, and we try to allow that guilt to separate us from God, or we know he loves us right there, and we're totally cool with staying there. We need both. He loves us right where we are, and he loves us way too much to leave us there. So that's a really important statement that he threw in specifically into this church. He said, hey, remember that. I discipline you because I love you. And then he says, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. (laughs) So the, the New American Standard Version says it a little more succinctly. It just says this. Be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. So, so that's a, a command, right? When the Bible says to do something, it's a, it's a command. Jesus is saying, be zealous. Do it. Be zealous. Interestingly, the, the root Greek word for zealous is the same as the root Greek word uh, for hot that Jesus used previous when he said, hey, you're neither hot nor cold. It's the same root Greek word. So, uh, and they both kind of carry this idea, specifically this one of uh, bringing something to a boil. So he's, he's very much suggesting that you turn up the dial on the heat in your spiritual life. Be zealous. Turn up the heat. You're lukewarm. You need to crank the dial a little bit and make it hot. And then he says, repent, which the idea of repent very simply means to turn around, to change your mind, to not think like this, but think like that, to to whatever direction you're going to go in the opposite direction. So he's saying, stop being lukewarm, heat up. He's commanding us to be zealous. So do it. Come on. Are you? I can't tell. It's a little darker than normal, so I can't tell. I'm hoping you're being zealous. Are you doing it? Yeah, right? Just flick the, the zealous switch. Can you just do that? Why aren't you? I feel like you're not. Whatever. It's not even hot in here today. Do I need to have the heat turned up literally in here? Is that what we need? Experienced that last week. There's just one problem with that, right? I don't feel like I can control that. I don't feel like I can control my passion level. I don't think I can, can control my, my care level, right? I can't control my feelings. And yet, it sure seems like that's what he's telling us to do. He's commanding us to, I mean, in a way, feel something. This is a very, I don't know, uh, 
nebulous command in that it's not like don't steal. Okay, I know not to steal. It's a choice I can make and I don't do it. But be zealous, like that's a descriptor of everything that you do. It's, it's supposed to characterize the things that you do. And it has to do with something in here. I don't know. I don't think I can control it. I mean, don't you wish you could control your feelings? Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, if that was like a superpower, that would be a cool superpower to be able to control how you feel, right? You wake up Monday morning, don't want to go to work. Now I do. I mean, that would be, wouldn't that be awesome to be able to flick a switch? Like, don't feel like working out. Click. Now I do. Like, boom, let's go run, you know? Um, the, Maybe I'm not feeling like I love my spouse very much. Let me turn this dial. Hey, baby, I love you. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? Like, to just be able to just control this stuff, feel sad, click, not anymore. Like, wow, that would be a really cool superpower to have, to be able to actually control your feelings. But you can't. Not like that. So, uh, we have tomato plants growing in our backyard right now. This is not my idea, obviously. Um, Because, like Ron Swanson, I believe that Vegetables are the food my food eats. Not my food. Um, did you follow that? Um, so it was my son's idea. He's really, he was excited to grow something. He does like vegetables, so it works out. He's more of an adult than me in that area. So um, we, started, we started doing this thing. We, um, we're, we're pretty close to their... Some are turning orange, a little bit red. So we're pretty close to actually having a tomato that my wife will eat and he will eat, not me. Um, so back in the early spring, like I think snow was still on the ground. We got some seeds and we got some dirt and a little egg carton thing. And we put them in there real careful because they're super tiny. And then um, we sp- sprayed it with water like every single day. And we tried to get them as much natural sunlight as possible. We even put a little light on them. And then they started to sprout really exciting. Um, and then we forgot what was planted where and we didn't know what it was for a while. And then eventually you can kind of tell that it is in fact a tomato plant. Um, and then when it was warm enough outside, we took it outside. You know, we dug a hole, we put it in there, tried to weed around it uh, pretty regularly. We slacked a little bit, but enough that the tomato plant won. Um, had to protect it from some rabbits at one point. This is a rabbit epidemic back there, so we had to put a little cage around a couple of them to try and keep them safe. And uh, eventually they grew, eventually they got flowers, eventually they sprouted some tomatoes, and now they're starting to turn ripe at, to the point that possibly this week, you know, we could have tomatoes from our backyard. Now, if you didn't do any of that, you won't be able to have tomatoes from your backyard this year. You won't. So you could say the sentence, I can't have tomatoes from my backyard. And in one sense, that would be absolutely true, because if you haven't done any of this, you won't be able to. But in another sense, if you say the sentence, I can't have tomatoes from my backyard, you could say, well, you could right? It's not that you can't. You could, maybe not right now, maybe next year, but you could if you did the work to actually get to the place where those plants were producing fruit. So I can't have tomatoes from my backyard. It's true in one sense, but it's also not true in a different sense. What if? What if the sentence, I wish I could have tomatoes from my backyard, is the same as the sentence, I wish I could control my feelings? I wish I could control my passion level. I wish I could control my zeal level. What if it's the same? What if these two things are the same? I wish I could have tomatoes from my backyard. Okay. I wish I could control my zeal. Okay, yeah. In one, in one sense, you can't just walk in your backyard if you haven't done any of that stuff and have a tomato. You can't, you're right. And in the same sense, you can't just flick a switch and be zealous. However, 
What if, in the same way, there is some work involved that started a while ago that now we're able to have the fruit from those plants? What if it's the same with your passion? What if it's the same with your zeal? What if, instead of flicking a switch, it's a lot more like growing something? Where, where stuff goes into it. You have to, you have to uh, do a bunch of stuff ahead of time that, that leads to passion, that leads to zeal. So, so saying I can't control that is, is true in the sense that you can't flick a switch, but it's not true completely. What I want you to see is you're not a complete slave to your feelings. You're not. We can do things to stoke the fire of certain feelings, and we can do things to put that fire out in certain feelings, right? For example, if you feel bitter, you know, we've all experienced this from time to time, right? You just, you just get something happens, and uh, you, you don't want to be bitter. Nobody chooses bitterness, but it just kind of happens. Well, what you do with that feeling, you can't just turn it off, right? Man, I wish you could just flick a bitter switch and be like, boom, forgiveness, done. Like, that'd be awesome, but you can't. But you can do things that will lead you further into bitterness or lead you further towards forgiveness, right? If, if you shut off you know, communication with God, if you're hanging out with a bunch of angry, bitter people who spew that all the time, you're going to get more bitter. Your bitterness is going to grow. However, if you choose to, you know what, I'm going to press into God. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pour my guts out to God. I'm going to hang out with people who uh, are working towards forgiveness in their life, and they're going to shut down those bitter thoughts, those bitter words. Well, your bitterness is going to shrink. So no, you can't flick a switch, but you can certainly do things that push you in one direction or another. Same thing's true in relationships, right? I can't turn a dial and increase my loving feelings towards my wife. I can't. That's unfortunately not possible. But I can definitely do things that will help my love for her grow. Right? Let me give you some examples. So uh, just a couple of things that I know will help my, increase my loving feelings towards my wife. Number one, reminiscing with her. You ever do that with, with the person you love? Like when you think about the good times you had, when you look at the old pictures, when you pull out the wedding album, there's something about doing that that kind of stokes that, those, those loving feelings uh, into a flame. Uh, so I know that reminiscing, remembering how far we've come as a couple, that causes those loving feelings to uh, ignite. Another thing is when I serve her, when I do something for her, um, that actually causes my feelings for her to increase. Usually people think about it reverse, but we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, loving feelings can produce loving actions, but loving actions can produce loving feelings, and that's definitely true for me. When I serve my wife and I'm doing it because I love her, it increases those feelings. Another thing we do is we dream together. We talk about our future, our hopes, our plans, and that increases my feelings of love for her. Intentional time together, really, of any kind that does not include kids, uh, is always one of the, it only pushes us in one direction. If we don't have a big agenda, some big planning thing, some big frustrating thing we're dealing with, if we just have time, we're just focused on enjoying each other's company, that increases my feelings for her. So no, I can't flip a switch, I can't turn a dial, but I can certainly do things that will put, push me in one direction towards feeling something. I'm not a slave to my feelings. The same is true when it comes to our passion and our zeal for God. Same exact thing is true. You are not a slave to that. You can't just say, I'm not feeling it. You can't. Maybe, maybe that's what the Bible means when it says in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart. 
It determines the course of your life. It is the source of those feelings, of those emotions. It's where passion comes from. It's where zeal comes from. It's your heart. Other translations talk about the heart as if it's like the wellspring. It's the source of, of, uh, of water coming out of you. It's the source of your emotions, your feelings. And it determines the course of your life. So it tells you to guard your heart above all else. Guard it. Same word used for like a watchman in a tower around a walled city. You're supposed to watch for things that shouldn't get in. Uh, because those things that could get into your heart could mess up what's in there. It could ruin those feelings that you actually want to produce and could produce feelings that you don't want. So you need to guard your heart. And above everything else, so yeah, guard your wallet, guard your purse, lock your doors, protect your kids. But most of all, this thing right here, that's at the top of your guarding priority list. You're supposed to guard your heart above everything because it determines the course of your life. It's the source. So please, 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 don't act like you are a slave to your feelings. Short term, yeah. Long term, no. I don't feel it. So what? Do something about it. Not feeling, not feeling it, that's not an excuse to disobey. It's, a, it's an obstacle to overcome. It's something that you need to work over, get by, push through. It'll take work, but it's doable. You can cultivate feelings. You can stir affections. You can grow emotions. It might take, long, take longer than the flip of a switch, but it's possible. So when Jesus commands us, be zealous, I don't think he means like flick the switch. Maybe this is what he means. Maybe he's commanding us to something long-term, something that is going to require some intentionality on our part. We must do certain things and not do other things that will cultivate passion and zeal in our life. We need to act in such a way, live in such a way that will stoke the fire of zeal in our life. So, um, I told you, I don't want you to just know that you should be passionate for God. You should. You should. You should care a lot. If you're a Christian and you're sitting here and you know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you should be passionate. And I don't just want you to know that being lukewarm makes Jesus sick. You should know that. And it's a really big deal. And the conviction from those sermons that I've heard in the past still sits on me. And I still, there's a, at least a piece of that that has been healthy in my life to say, hey, you're not living to the level of the thing that God did for you. Like you're not there and you should be. And it's really important that you do that. You should know that too. But I also want to help you now um, with like how to grow the passion, how to stoke that fire of zeal in your life. Um, so it's not the flick of a switch. It's going to take some, some, some things on your part, some work on your part to develop. Um, so here's one word. I just, I'm just going to give you stuff in my life. I can't, I don't know that they work for everybody. I don't know that it all, like we're all wired exactly the same way that this will all work for you. Um, but I just kind of want to give you some examples from my own life of how I can either kill my zeal or I can help cultivate it and, and grow my zeal for God. Okay. Um, so let's start with the, the things that kill zeal because it would stink to end on the negative. So, so let's start with the negative and we'll end with the positive. So um, first thing that will kill my passion for God, will kill my zeal for God is an obvious one, sin. 
I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on it, but man, sin will kill your passion for God, specifically willful sin. When I know I shouldn't do it, but I do it anyways, that always kills my passion for God, always. The Bible can attest to this, right? The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, uh, it talks about like the Holy Spirit like it is a fire. And when you don't listen to what God tells you to do, it's like pouring water on that fire. The Bible uses that as an example. Willful sin will kill your passion, quench your zeal for God. So, so, I don't know, this is where I want to get sarcastic. Like, don't be surprised when you're doing whatever uh, you want in your life and you don't feel it. Of course you don't. You're putting out the fire that's in here when you do this. When you willfully choose to do whatever you want. Of course you don't feel it. So that's the first thing. Second thing, uh, bitterness, man. And I refuse to give or kind of marinate in bitterness towards someone, it kills my passion for God. It's, it's as if it puts this distance between me and God because the Bible says, hey, you've been forgiven of everything you've ever done. You can't hold on to that. You can't hold on to that. So when I marinate in bitterness and I don't choose forgiveness or to even fight for forgiveness, it kills my zeal, it kills my passion. Third thing, worry. When I allow the what ifs to consume me, when I um, let myself focus too much on the problems that I can't solve, the issues that are too big for me, rather than remember how big my God is, my zeal for God dies when I focus on the problems. And uh, side note, commercial, next week, we're starting a little mini-series called Calm in the Chaos. Uh, we thought it'd be good since school starts this week to talk a little bit about peace. Uh, so we're going to be talking about this one specifically uh, and how it works in your life, um, commercial over. But worry can kill my passion for God. And then really, this one's just kind of blanket. Anything more important than God, anything I allow into my life that, that creeps above God in the priority list. So let me just give you a really silly example in my life. If I play too much video games, it kills my passion for God. And I know that's probably not all of yours, maybe some of yours, but man, for me, if I spend too much time with a controller in my hand or a screen in my face, my passion for God goes down because I allow it to like become the thing. Make sense? The thing? And, and when I allow that to, to be my sole focus and I get super just consumed in that, it overshadows my relationship with God and it kills my zeal. So these are just four examples of things that, that I've experienced that, that will kill my passion. That when Jesus says, be zealous, if I do these things, I'm, I'm disobeying him because I'm doing something that eventually is going to kill that passion, that zeal that he commands me to have. So these are four things that I have to stay away from. Now, let's flip it. I want to give you the things that I can do that cultivate zeal, that cultivate passion, that if I am consistent and disciplined in these things, it will lead me to a place where I am passionate and zealous and, and maybe even I would classify myself as, as in that hot category, um, whatever, however you can do that humbly to say, you know what, I'm obeying Jesus because I actually am zealous for him. Here's, here's the things that I uh, do. Uh, for me, alone time in nature, um, there's something about being in his creation uh, just me and God, uh, where I can pray and, and just kind of spend time in his presence. I don't know that I'm always like actively like, dear Jesus, please, like, you know what I'm saying? But I'm just kind of walking and praying and, and enjoying the things that he created and, and just being in his presence, if that makes sense. And that, man, that, that stokes that fire of passion for him. And I don't know, I, 
I want to say like, well, I have a bent towards that and maybe not everybody has that, but maybe there's something to it. Maybe there's something spiritually to um, spending time in nature with God. Uh, if you remember back in the Garden of Eden, like it was one of the things God did before sin entered the world. He walked with them in the garden. I'm like, maybe there's something to that. Maybe in the very beginning, like people walking with God in his creation, there's something to it. So for me, I need to do this regularly. That's why winter really sucks. It's hard to do. It's cold and horrible out. And it's hard to be thankful. Like, dear Jesus, thank you for the negative two degrees right now. Um, I struggle with that. And, uh, but even that, there's a sweetness to it because I don't know if you guys do this. this is, maybe this is going to be weird. Maybe I'm being too transparent. But like, I joke with God about stuff like that. Like, dude, winter, really? Like, <laughs> I have these conversations with God and, and it, there's something, I don't know, there's something good and, and deep about it. Um, so that's my first thing, alone time in nature. Second thing, remembering. Just like with my wife, sitting down and reminiscing about the good times, remembering all that God has done for me and how far he's brought me, man, that, that stokes that passion for him. Remembering who I was and how far I've come, what he's done, how he's changed me, how he's moved in my life, all the things that he's given me. All the difficult situations that at the time I thought were impossible that now I'm on the other side of. Like that stuff, man. Uh, like, like for me, um, back at our old church building, we, we still have that if you don't know that. And there's a spot in that room where I felt like the call to ministry. I get a chair and I sit there sometimes and just remember like God moving my life and how he's called me to do these things. Like I do that on purpose because sometimes I, I, I'm just, I'm forgetful and, and I can be facing things uh, looking forward that look huge. But then if I look backwards and it's like, man, I faced something bigger than that and God got me through that so he's going to definitely get me through this like I have to intentionally sit down and remember sometimes and that increases my passion and my zeal for God that's my second thing third thing getting the focus off of me and this one probably seems counterintuitive because I'm talking about my zeal <laughs> and how I need to increase that but there's something about serving other people with a good attitude that, that causes my zeal for God to grow. There's something about living in such a way where the spotlight's not on you that just clicks spiritually. When you stop focusing so much on you and your stuff and how you need to work and how you need to do this and get this down and get better and, and all the pain and all the stuff that you've got going on, if you can just get the spotlight off that for a minute, it's, it's like everything clicks more spiritually when the spotlight's not on you. And, and for me, man, this really increases my passion for God when I'm tired, but tired because I wasn't doing a bunch of stuff for me. There's usually a sweetness to that. Even in that, even in that tired, even in that exhaustion, there's a sweetness to it and there's a closeness and a passion I feel for God that I really can't get any other way. Fourth one's another completely counterintuitive one, but obeying God when I don't want to ignites my zeal for God. In the same way, I think that, that willful sin can shut down your passion for God when you really want to do something and you say, you know what? No, God doesn't want me to do that. I'm not going to do it. And you actually fight that fight and you push Satan back and you say, no, my God said, no, I'm not going to do it. There's something that happens inside of you. I'm telling you, there's a, there's, it's, it's like pouring gasoline on a fire. It ignites. And, and the next time you fight, it's just a different fight. So when I say no, when I really want to say yes, because God said no, man, it ignites it. And I hope you believe me so that you can experience that too. 
Obeying when I don't want to ignites that fire. I counted wrong last week. Five. Church. Something about gathering together as a group of people to focus on God and our relationship with Him that ignites my passion for God. And I'm a pastor, so I have to say that. I know. So, like, guys, like, well, of course. But don't you think, like, if you could pull back the physical curtain for a minute, because physically, what are we doing here? You know, we, we sing... Uh, we inhale some fog, uh, you guys listen for a while, and then you leave. Physically, that's what happens. But spiritually, don't you wonder if you could like pull back the curtain and see what actually happens spiritually here? Because again, just like I think, like maybe God ordained something about nature to help us connect with him. I know that he ordained something about this. He talks about this specifically, that the gathering together of people who, who have a relationship with him and want to kind of direct our hearts towards him in as many different ways as we can. There's something about that, that that does something spiritually. So if we could pull back the curtain, we would see, oh man, this does something for us. Even if we don't leave here like feeling super great or, or feeling closer to God, that there's something happening, whether we realize it or not. And it definitely works for me, so... Church ignites my passion when I stay connected to that. And then the last one, and this is one of those ones that's so stupid obvious that you overlook it, but it's really the most important one because I think it's actually the message of the whole letter. Just ask for it. (laughs) Ask him, Lord, I need passion. I need zeal. I need it. You said I need it and I don't have it. Please give it to me. That's what he means, by the way. When he says, you're poor, buy gold. What he means is ask him. That, that's the kind of God that we have. He knows that we don't have what we need. We can't pay for what we need. If we just ask him, he would give it. He would give it. By the way, here's how I know this. And this is the part where I get a little bit frustrated because I've heard this sermon so many times, but I've never made this connection before. Look at verse 20. This is towards the end of the letter. Here's what it says. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. That's the end of this letter. This is the same Jesus who said, if you're lukewarm, you make me sick. Like he's, he's harsh. He's very like in your face, intense. Like it's super important for you to be passionate. And you kind of feel like this, oh Jesus, man. But then at the end, he's like, hey, I'm not pushing away from you. I actually want to be in your life. I'm knocking at the door. Let me in. I can do the thing I'm commanding you to do in your heart. I can do it. Like, think about that. That's the God we have. He's not, he's not just the happy-go-lucky, like, whatever you guys want to do is cool. No, he's very serious. But at the same time, he's very passionate about you. He wants your life to look a certain way, but man, he's in. He wants to walk down that road with you, not push away from you. He's knocking. He's knocking. So, <laughs> Laodicea, lukewarm in Laodicea. So many people think that this is like the church that we live in, the Laodicean church, the lukewarm church, the church that has everything they need physically, but. Is kind of pitiful spiritually. Like this is the church in America. Um, maybe it is. But I guess what, what I'm hoping 
for today for you is like today could be today today could be something. It could be a normal Sunday where you come in here, you sing a little bit, maybe you listen a little bit, maybe, and then you go home. And by the time you get out there, you're already thinking about what you're going to eat. Or today could be something important. Today could be a day where you make like a decision. Like you, you say today, today is the day. I'm not going to be lukewarm anymore. I'm not going to be lethargic anymore. I'm going to be intentional about my passion for my God. Today could be a day where you make that decision. So um, I want it to be. I want it to be. So uh, could, you, could you close your eyes? Jonathan said I had to pray for a full minute and I don't have that much prayer in me. So just close your eyes. Um, I want you to think right now, before I even start praying, like you, you, between you and God, ask the question, like, am I lukewarm, Lord? Like, is that me? Do I not care enough? Do you want more for me? Do you want more for me? Answer that. My guess is, Many of you, the answer is yes. So man, today, right now, you can't can't fix it right now. You can't. But you can start to, you can make today the beginning of the path. You can make today the day that you start planting the seeds of zeal, the seeds of passion in your life. You can make that today. You can make that decision today that will lead towards it. So you might not leave here passionate, but you can make the decision to head towards that today. So Jonathan is going to sing a song and I just want you to take this time to pray and do the first thing that you should do, which is ask for it. Ask for passion, ask for zeal. Ask for a zeal that matches the thing that God did for you. Pray with me.